Hello, friends, and welcome to the First Loved Podcast. Just so grateful that you're listening, and, you know, I'd like to just begin by praying together. Father, I just thank you for those who take the time to listen, and fathers, we do our podcasts. We just want so greatly for people to experience you in the midst of the sharing and the information. Empower them to encounter you through this podcast, Lord, and I ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, what I'd like to share with you is about my trip to the discipleship school. You hear me talk about this from time to time, and it's not surprising because this actually is my sixth year of going down to Costa Rica. But actually this year, which is very interesting, it happened for the first time last year, is that the winter trip was in Honduras and incredibly beautiful awesome location, better than our Costa Rica location at this moment. So just beautiful, beautiful place, river, huge lake, warm, all of it just really wonderful. But anyway, as I mentioned, this was my sixth year, and pretty much over all six years, I go down in October and I get to be the first speaker. And that's when we talk about First Left. And it's just so much fun because the students have pretty much just arrived and I get to lay the foundation of a new way of experiencing God loved them and loving is loved. But in the wintertime, my first year, we did getting along the first week of January, but we discovered that was a little too early because they hadn't had enough relational stuff going on yet that their needs to know level was really high. Well, the next year, they had me come in June. I'm not sure why that was, but they had had five months of being in groups and teams, and things were a disaster. And I don't say that lightly. It was probably one of the most difficult weeks of my life, trying to help the students, the leaders, talk and listen to one another and share their pain and to express forgiveness and repentance. It was so hard. So after that, we finally decided that I'd come in February. So they would have been in their teams for about a month. And I'd come down and they would just start to have a needs to know for how do we get along. But this year, they had me come down the first week of April. And I was a little bit surprised because that seemed like too long again, that this would be three months that they would be in their teams. And friends, it was right on the edge of being too long. I'm not sure I've ever quite explained, but what happens after the teaching happens in the fall, October and November, when they come back for Christmas, they're put into teams. And in this case, this was the largest school, 30 students. They had six teams with five students in each team plus a leader. And then they went to five different countries. And the thing that's really unique about this is that Generally, there's only one person in the group, maybe two, who's bilingual. They're all trying to learn. Some are trying to learn English. Some are trying to learn Spanish. And can you imagine you're going to serve in a church, oftentimes where they live is on the floor of the church, and they have to, I don't know where they get places to bathe or shower. They use the church kitchen, whatever it is. I mean, we're talking seriously challenging <laughs> to be together. It's not normal sleeping, not normal eating. You don't know the language necessarily, even on your own team. And they have been together, in this case, for three months. So when I arrive, I start hearing right away that some of the teams are ready to 
just implode, that some of them might have to be sent home, some of them have one-on-one issues, some issues with the leaders, some with each other. It was a mess. And I'm going, oh God, oh God, oh God, please help. So anyway, first of all, I just want to say this. This is going to be just a brief little review again of the key points of getting along. We are really, really working hard on getting this part of our First Love Discipleship curriculum finished. But I just want to remind you to be praying for us. At the end, we're going to pray about this again. But there are so many families and so many churches that do not have a detailed, outlined way of getting along with one another, how they're going to work through their conflict and their pain and anger. And this was so the case for these guys. And here's what kind of set up the whole thing of making it extra bad, (laughs) is that, again, what, a half of them to two-thirds of them are from Central America. And Central Americans and the Central American countries in general, just Central American culture, they do not do conflict very well, period. Most of us, even in America, don't do conflict very well. But in this case, most of these students came from the same denomination, whether churches in Central America or churches in North America. And what I discovered as the week was unfolding and I'm having conversations with various peoples and some of the leaders was that the church and their families, who sort of pride themselves in being peacemakers— Their way of creating peace was to avoid conflict. Their way of having peace was that when you got hurt, you stuffed it, you buried it, you asked God to just make it go away. And then, of all things, in the guise of prayer, then you call everybody else and tell them about what's going on and ask them to pray for you. Essentially, they turn prayer into gossip. And they were doing this in their groups. Somebody would get offended, they'd go talk to the leader, talk to somebody else, and they'd say, would you pray for me about? But then they would talk about this issue, talk about this conflict, but no one, no one, no one talks to one another. And I was sitting down at the end of the week with a leader and a a student, both again who came out of these denominational backgrounds, And I'm sitting with the young leader who now is overseeing the discipleship school. He's in his fourth year of being there. And I have loved this guy. His name's Vinny. And I've loved how much he has owned this stuff. And he really gets getting along. So he and I are helped trying to coach this conversation. (laughs) And at one point, I look at him and I said, dude, is this for real? He says, oh, absolutely. He says, my family, and especially my mom and sisters, if something happens, they are on the phone talking to others, and I can't think of a single time that I ever had somebody talk to me or I witnessed anybody talk face-to-face. You gossiped about it in prayer, and you buried it. Well, now I'm finding out that almost all of the students have done this. So here I am giving language, first of all, that that's not an acceptable way. It doesn't work in the first place, but most of all, it's not what the Lord has asked us to do, what, what God has spelled out in a variety of scriptures. And most of all is that you don't love each other. And I remember at one point I just say to them, remember God said, look, 
You can't say that you love me and hate your brother. You're a liar if you say that. <laughs> this is not optional. You got to do this. We got to take care of this. Well, of course, the biggest question to everybody is when Jesus says, point out somebody's fault, how do you do that without making it worse? Or how do you go and reconcile when you're afraid and you're afraid that might become worse or bad or uncomfortable or accomplish nothing? So anyway, needless to say, their needs to know level was through the roof. I'll tell you, it is really, really fun teaching when people are so hungry and thirsty for what you have. I just want to say to you who are listening, especially if you've never heard, there are seven parts, as it were, to the Getting Along material, which we entitle Getting Along, Biblical Steps to Healing Conversations. One of them is called the Love-Based Apology, and it's learning how to actually apologize well with a number of steps that actually brings healing to the person that you've harmed and wronged and begins to restore and rebuild trust. You know, it's remarkable how many people think they apologize, but their apology is full of excuses, sometimes blaming, sometimes asking somebody to just put up with them. And it's no wonder that the person doesn't feel loved, no healing starts, and most importantly, no trust is restored. There's also this thing we call memory healing prayer, which it can be both from older past memories or even a current experience that immediately becomes a memory where you've been wronged or you wronged somebody, but you've never had an opportunity to work that out in the presence of the Lord so that your memory actually gets transformed. You actually experience healing, and it no longer inflicts pain and causes stress for you. It's amazing what God does through that practice. But the primary one is when you've been wronged. And the steps we use are stop, look, listen, love, and change. Stop, look, listen, love, and change. Stop comes from Psalm 4.4. In your anger, do not sin. Search your hearts and be silent. In the first one, we talk about that when you've been wronged, it's so easy, so easy to sin in your anger. But the necessity to sit to stop, to search your heart, look at what you're thinking, look at what you're feeling, and examine it, challenge it. See if it's based in truth. See if it's fact or fiction. Is it your perception or is it based in reality? The second one, look, comes from two verses where we not only look at our, our own thinking, but we also need to look into the other person's heart and mind and experience and find out what's going on in them. That comes from two scriptures. One is in Deuteronomy 13, 14 through 15, where Moses says, basically what God says, is that if you hear something, something bad, something wrong, something going on, he says, you've got to inquire, probe, investigate, and if it is true, and if it is proved. You know what that suggests? It suggests that you can hear something or see something, and you may not understand it correctly. You may have a belief about it that's inaccurate. And so before you act, Moses is saying, look, you need to inquire. You need to probe. You need to investigate if it is true and if it is proved. Another one is in James 1.19, where James says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
The sad part is that in most of our lives, it generally happens in the reverse order, that we are quick to become angry, quick to speak or act out of our anger, and rarely ever listen. And then finally, once you've stopped, once you've looked, and once you've listened, then you actually figure out what does love look like right now, right here, repentance, forgiveness, understanding, and then you begin to work out what the issue is, and that's what we call the change conversation. Well, here's what I want to leave with you today as a way to help people remember the importance of stop, especially stop, look, and listen. If you grew up in church, especially if you were around hymns, you might remember this hymn called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And there's this one line where it says, Oh, the peace we often forfeit. Oh, the needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Well, I changed that (laughs) as a way to help people remember, stop, look, listen, as so crucial to starting this process before the love and change part. It goes like this. Oh, the peace we often forfeit, and oh, the needless pain we bear, all because we didn't check out if our thoughts were truth or error. Oh, the peace we often forfeit, oh, the needless pain we bear, all because we did not check out if our thoughts were truth or error. At the core of it, friends, that's the issue, is that because of our own personal filters, our minds, our brains, all the stuff that's stored in them, it makes us so susceptible to interpreting, perceiving things we see or hear or actions wrongly. We give them the wrong meaning, the wrong interpretation, and then we begin to speak and act and feel out of that thought, out of that belief. This is why he says, in your anger, do not sin. Search your heart and be silent. You need to take a look at how am I interpreting this? What meaning am I giving it? And is it fact or fiction? Is it truth or error? Is it my perception? Is it reality? And you know, the only way you can find that out is you got to go ask questions. You need to ask questions. You need to ask what we call a checkout question which is learning how to ask the question without your belief and without your emotion, just what you observed, what you heard, so that people are free to express and share. But the necessity of inquiring, probing, investigating to see if your thoughts are true, if they are accurate, is so crucial. And then we need to listen. Listen, listen, listen. If in real estate... You hear this phrase all the time that the key to real estate is location, location, location. (laughs) The key to listening, the key to a healing conversation is understanding, understanding, understanding. And get this, before being understood. That's the thing that's so hard is we want people to know what we think. We want to express our thoughts and get in our our experience or whatever, you know, it takes the power and grace of God and the Holy Spirit to actually not sin in your anger, to go check out, inquire, probe, and investigate, and then to listen well. 
really, really, really to understand. Well, you know what was so amazing is how many people we helped have those conversations. We sat with different ones to help them learn the checkout question, how to form it. Then we helped them sit, helped them to ask, helped them to listen well, to continue to ask good questions, to keep the other person sharing. And to a person and to a group, to a team, every single issue that was going on was based on a misinterpretation that people ran away with, assuming that was fact, and then started telling others their belief, their opinion, their perception. And it nearly destroyed relationships, destroyed the teams, and so many of them were hoping that they could go home or not go back out for the final two months. But when we finished, they were filled with hope. I, I can't even describe to you the degree of hugs, the, the intensity of hugs and smiles and laughter, where they all found themselves loving one another again and actually eager to go out. And how many of them said, Mark, how do we get this to our parents, our families, our friends? Well, the bottom line is, friends, this is what I'm asking from you. We need you to be praying for us to finish this. We are hoping so, so much to be able to finish this, to make the necessary curriculum, workbook, videos. So would you just join us, join me in making this a regular part of prayer? because there is such a need for it. The bottom line is there are families, relationships in church, at work, that are forfeiting peace and carrying needless pain because they don't know how, don't have the courage, the capacity to be able to sit down, check out whether their thoughts are really accurate, to listen, to understand. And in some cases, you might actually have to repent or forgive. But we desperately need to see the body of Christ be equipped with this. So thank you. Thank you for listening. And love you and look forward to the chance when, if you haven't had the opportunity that you get to come to a Getting Along weekend and hear more and do a little bit of the practices so that you too can actually live in the peace and the joy that the Lord wants for us. God bless you and have a great day.